Good evening, church. Trust everyone is well. You have lots of folk that you are inviting to join you here on Sunday. Yes, you have a list. Matter of fact, you've got such an extensive list, you're going to have to pick people up and drop them off across all four services. And so I know that you're working that. Um, It's going to be a great moment. Friday evening, just don't forget, we also have our Good Friday service here at 7.15, a communion service. That's always a great moment. And, of course, we're here for four services, as you know, on Sunday morning, and one in Sterling and another, our Spanish-speaking church, right across the hall. It's going going to be great. Continuing on prayer tonight, last week we're still talking about the patterns of prayer. And last week I... I pulled out this little white prayer book, the Book of Common Prayer, and I talked about my journey as a heathen Episcopalian and about figuring out how this, how one was to learn how to pray, which is what this entire series has been about, and how we can look at some of the historical prayers and creeds of the faith and find a tremendous, rich deposit of God that's there. We looked at the Nicene Creed last week, many, many other creeds that one can look at that goes back to our church fathers where many times these creeds were written to bring about and clarify what the orthodoxy, what the belief system of the church was at that time. And we go back through these creeds now and we read these and it's just like, well, duh, I know that, but there's something powerful that gets reinforced by continuing to say certain things. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I mean, we begin to say words like that, and it reinforces something on the inside of us as to who God is and as to who we are as well. Great prayers of the saints that have gone before. We looked at a few of those last week. And let me encourage you is that a lot of information may be going past, and you may not be getting all of this written down. But if you go out to our website, you will find some notes that are there right by the audio that so those things that perhaps again that, you know, what was that reference that he made or that book or that creed? Uh, Pastor Duke is working very diligently to try to put together a really good set of notes that will accompany each one of these messages. So you can go back and you can reference those. But beyond those, those creeds and those historical prayers of the faith, there are also some tremendous uh, daily devotionals and prayer guides that are out there. So many, matter of fact, there are too many of them out there. I mean, you can go to the grocery store now, and there's the, you know, the, the 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 left-handed goofy guy prayer guide, or you know, I mean, there's there's just so many out there. But just as a way of of perhaps uh, getting us started, you know, let me just give you a few that I've used over the years and. Really what I do is I change up and I use different ones from year to year. And maybe I get bored and I switch off mid-year, all right? But for instance, you know, there's, here's one that uh, is, is very, very popular. It's called Morning by Morning by Charles Spurgeon. Now, again, these, these, are, these are devotionals and, you know, the, the, the challenge with using something like this is that it, <laughs> how do I say this? It's not real, quote, prophetic in terms of you're getting, you know, what is the Spirit saying? But let me just tell you, there is a richness in these devotionals that many times that if, if we're just all over the place can really help get us focused. Uh, so morning by morning, Charles Spurgeon, this is a great tool right here. 
This is one that I did not realize was out of print. This is a little grim sounding, but it's called Prayers of the Martyrs. And so I can't even point you in a direction as to where to get a copy of this anymore. Um, it was interesting that Pastor Duke, I was riding in with him tonight, and it's, this one is compiled and translated by Dwayne Arnold, which is actually a good friend of Pastor Duke's. He said, I've been trying to get a copy of this. I said, well, give mine back. But, um, but there is just, just tremendous prayers in here of those, of those men and women that had the, had the privilege of being martyred by God. And let me just tell you, there's, there's, there's nothing like the, 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 the reality of eternity and the hope of eternity and resurrection life as you read some of these prayers. Let me just read one of them. This is uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I don't know if you know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer was, but he was a Lutheran pastor who was actually in prison. He, uh, he became a very vocal uh, critic of the church's position toward what was happening in Nazi Germany at the time. Um, he was in prison for his faith, interestingly enough. Uh, less than a month before the end of the war, he was actually executed. But this, he wrote this, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, God, early in the morning I cry to you, help me to pray and to concentrate my thoughts on you. I cannot do this alone. In me there's darkness, but with you there is light. I'm lonely, but you don't leave me. I'm feeble in heart, but with you there's help. I'm restless, but with you there's peace. In me there is bitterness, but with you there's patience. I do not understand your ways, but you know the way for me. Restore me to liberty and enable me so to live now that I may answer before you and before me. Lord, whatever this day may bring, your name be praised. And just on and on and on, just tremendous prayers of the saints. If you can find a copy of this, a tremendous resource. Uh, my current reading this year, I'm doing a year with C.S. Lewis. This is just a collection of writings and prayers and thoughts from him. This is, you can tell this one's still kind of shiny. This is, this is one I'm using this year. And then this is one that my wife and I over the years wore out multiple copies. This is a classic called My Upmost for His Highest by Oswald Chambers. Now, for some of you, you're nodding your head, yes, tell me something I didn't know. But for some of you, these may be resources that perhaps you have never heard of before. But let me just say that any of these resources can really help get you focused and can really inspire you in your prayer life. Amen? So hopefully that is moderately helpful for you. All right, let me hand these to somebody. There we go. Tremendous, because I'll be knocking them off the podium before the evening's over. But what I want to move to tonight, I want to talk about praying Scripture. We talk about patterns, and I don't know of a, of a more accurate pattern that we're ever going to find than praying the Word of God. Theologian, author, Ian e. Bounds, who's written extensively about prayer, he writes this, The Word of God is the fulcrum upon which the lever of prayer is placed, and by which things are mightily moved. God has committed himself, his purposes, and his promise to prayer. His Word becomes the basis the inspiration of our praying, and there are circumstances under which by importunate prayer we may obtain an enlargement of his promises. I love that. 
an enlargement of his promises. That it's God's word, he says here, which is the fulcrum, the lever of prayer is placed, is on this word of God. And again, we look to scripture even more than the historical prayers and creeds, but we find in scripture prayers that are inspired uniquely by the Holy Spirit by virtue of the fact that they're in the Bible at all. Because we know that every word in there, according to the Bible, is inspired of the Lord. And it's praying the will of God rather than our will when we get to Scripture as we want rightly interpret Scripture. Now, this becomes something whereby which we all need to become students of this word. Because how many of you know you can grab a piece of Scripture and make it say almost anything? Most of the, most of the cults and false religions in the world use the Bible as their textbook. You aware of that? Most of them. They're not using the Koran. They're not using some, some other weird ancient writings that they scratched off of a wall somewhere. They're using the Bible, but they're using the Bible incorrectly to say something that it doesn't say. So it's important that as we begin to pray this word, that it begins by a proper understanding of what this word is really saying. So when we rightly interpret, then we can rightly align with Scripture and we, in turn, we can get rightly aligned with the author of Scripture. This is how we can know God's will, absolutely based on this word. You see, only Scripture gives us this assurance. Only Scripture. Now, we've got a prophetic conference coming up, and I hope that you're going to come, and not that you think that you're a prophet or have the gift of prophecy. Maybe you don't even want it, although 1 Corinthians 14 tells you that you should. But nevertheless, it's a moment whereby which we get to come together around God, around God's Spirit, hear what God is saying to us uniquely, and something happens when you're in that atmosphere. Revelation 19 says the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. And so in a moment where there's a prophetic environment, a prophetic atmosphere, the testimony of Jesus is going to go forth into your life. So you got to be here. you got to be here. But you see, as great as the prophetic is, how many of you know there's a problem with the prophetic? And the problem with the prophetic is that it is fallible and it's subject to human interpretation. We know from Scripture that there's a limitations. 1 Corinthians 13, it says we know in part and we do what? We, there we go. You know that. But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. And we know here that the perfection is not the canon of Scripture. Perfection is talking about the second coming of Christ. And yet, we know that there's a limitation. 1 Corinthians 14 goes into extraordinary detail as to when prophecy goes forth, prophecy has to be judged. It has to be judged because it's imperfect. It's coming through human vessels. We don't get the whole thing. How many of you know Scripture doesn't have to be judged anymore? Because it's inspired by God, God's Spirit has already judged it as to be genuine, authentic, 100%, no additives, no fillers, and gluten-free, baby. Everything that is in, in between these two pages right here, it's God. And so you go and, you know, somebody gives you a prophetic word or you have some sense or some tingling in your spirit. All of that stuff 
as, 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 as right as it feels, many times, how many of you know, it can, it, it, I feel like a donut most of the time. Are you with me? There's very few moments of the day that I couldn't say I could use a donut. Unless I just finished three or four. But just give me a few minutes and I'll be ready for another one. I mean, it's good. It's good. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that desire is God speaking to me. Are you with me? My wife is nodding vigorously on the front row at her chunky husband. All right. But you see, if but we say, well, oh, God, is my desire. But how many of you know this, uh, this is a real tricky thing that the desires that spring from our hearts, Jeremiah 17, 9, it says the heart is deceitful, what? Above all things and beyond cure, who can understand it? There we go. And your intensity of desire does not align you to God's will. That's the problem. Many times the intensity of our desire, as a matter of fact, it leads us in the other direction apart from God's will. That's why these, that's why these things that kind of go, the, the, the prophetic and the doo-doo-doo, all this stuff out here, and you know what we feel kind of churning and burning on the inside of us, it all has to be brought in submission to what's in that word. It's all got to be there. And so many times, I mean, Pastor, Pastor Donnell could tell you the same thing. Men and women will sit down and they'll tell us, you know, God told me. God told me to divorce that fool. And, you know, well, that's not a matter that we've got to cut. We got, we got to get our profit on. All we have to do is just open our, open our Bible and say, excuse me, but somebody's wrong here. Because God is obviously disagreeing with himself. And how many of you know God is never confused? God doesn't disagree with himself. He's not going to give you one set of written instructions and turn around and circumvent the written instructions with some ongoing oral instructions. And hear me, I love the Holy Ghost. I love prophecy and prophets and I love the, ooh, I love all that stuff. But only as it's connected and grounded in the word. Because you've got to get aligned by that word, his will. His stated desire through that word is written testament to us. Joni Erickson Tata, I don't even know how to explain who this dear woman is. Um, is she quad, quadriplegic? Amazing, uh, amazing story of grace. Quadriplegic, she's... She's an artist, too, if I'm not mistaken. She's an author, tremendous uh, woman of God. She wrote this. If praying in the name of Jesus comes as naturally as breathing, we need to pray in the word just as naturally. The Bible underscores that there are two things that God honors above all else, his name and his word. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word, wrote David in Psalms 138, verse 2. Prayer spice 
with God's word is prayer exalted. But most of all, using the word of God in prayer is about as close as we can get to the living word, the Lord Jesus. And if we're going to pray in his name, it makes sense to speak in his language. You know, we talk a lot in, 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 in the flavor of church in which we find ourselves about prayer language. Glossolalia, praying in tongues, 1 Corinthians 12, 14, how does it work? Is it God? What's happening? And we'll talk about praying in the Spirit over the next two weeks. But I love this thought. We talk about a prayer language, but could it be that the Bible as the inspired Word of God is God's language? Is that really God's, God's language is really the language of Scripture to you and I? Why is that? One, it's intelligible. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, I don't know about you, but I've heard so many things before that it, it, people will say something and it's just like, that sounded great. I have no idea what you said. My wife and I attend a conference each year and there's some, some pretty noted prophetic individuals that minister at this conference. And this one guy gets up there and he's got his numbers and his charts and he's got his Hebrew. And it, I mean, it is just, you, I mean, I think he's got a little pocket shofar he blows. I mean, it's powerful stuff. And I mean, it's, imp- it's, a, it's impressive, man. And you sat back and you say, wow, whoa, this, this dude is, and, is, and you step away. What did he say? You have no idea. It was impressive, but it wasn't really helpful. It wasn't really intelligible. See, this is the thing about the Bible as God's language to you and I. It's our language of prayer has to be this word because we, he, he's made himself known to us very, very clearly. It's what, good, it's what good parents do. They don't give their kids instructions. Son, I want you to go out and I want you to, um, I w- I want you to um, rebuild the engine in my car. Here's a hammer. Well, just go do it. Yeah, but go do it. Or you begin to give him an answer that's this long that he can't understand. No, what you're going to do is that you're going to give him very, very explicit instructions beginning here, and then you do this, and then you do this. This is what the Bible does. It unpacks this for us. And so doing, it aligns us to God's will, and it not only informs, but it aligns how we pray. In that we're not praying amiss. I think some Christians pray some. Okay? I think some Christians pray some. I think most Christians don't pray much. I hope I'm being charitable in in that assessment because I think I could include myself in that statement. But I have to wonder many times of all the energy that gets expended, quote, in prayer for the results that are yielded many times, one has to know that something's being prayed that ain't quite hitting the mark. If we know God hears us and we know he does, and yet the answer seems to be either silence or no, 
somewhere we've got to realize, you know, I, 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 might need to, I might need to change this up somewhat because this isn't working. I mean, what is the definition of insanity? Yeah, there we go. So maybe, maybe we need to figure out, you know, if, 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 if somehow I'm going through all of these motions and yet I'm not seeing any kind of real forward momentum, I need to change something up. I believe God answers prayer. I hope you believe God answers prayer. If not, let's all go home and watch some Gilligan's Island reruns. Steve Murrell makes this statement. He said, the church is not built on prayer, but on answered prayer. I love that. But if we're going to get answered prayer, we've got to be praying the will of God. And that's what this word will align us to. So let's let's just survey a few passages tonight. And again, there's no way in the world that this could begin to be exhaustive, but just an example of how you can get started. And you don't really, and, and, and you almost can just go page to page and find something you can pray. Pray. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, the prayer of Hannah. There's none holy like the Lord, for there's none beside you, no rot like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge. And by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. The Lord kills and brings to life, brings down to Sheol and raises up. Makes the poor, makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. And he will guard the feet of his faithful ones. First Chronicles chapter 4, verse 10, the prayer of Jabez. You can buy this little booklet at the, at the gas station 10 years ago. Remember the prayer of Jabez? Everybody got some prayer of Jabez. We're writing music. We got everybody, prayer of Jabez. Here we go. But you know this one, that you would bless me, enlarge my border, that your hand might be with me and that you would keep me from harm so that it might not bring me pain. Not, 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 not a bad prayer. First Chronicles. Chapter 29, verse 10 through 19, verse 12, it says, But riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might. In your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Second Chronicles 6, Solomon dedicating this temple. God, There's no God like you in heaven or on earth who keep your covenant of love with your servants who continue wholeheartedly in your way. I actually wrote a worship song to that passage one time. You've kept your promise to your servant, David, my father. With your mouth you promised and with your hand you fulfilled it as it is today. He goes on and says, May your eyes be open toward this temple day and night. By the way, where is the temple of God now? It's right here. You could plug yourself into this prayer. This place of which you said you would put your name there. May you hear the prayer your servant prays toward this place and hear the supplications of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. Hear from heaven. And he goes on. Chapter 7, 
When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people. You know this, we've prayed it over our nation forever. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. What does it say? Seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and will heal their land. We pray this all the time as a prayer over this nation. The next verse 15, by the way, is why this particular meeting years ago when we moved into our building next door, 7 to 15 wasn't just a nifty time. I actually took it from this next passage. Now my eyes will be opened and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. That's why this meeting is called 715. It's based out of this passage of Scripture. Nehemiah, we can see powerful prayers of repentance. Daniel, praying repentance and deliverance. Throughout the Psalms, oh my goodness, just go one, one to the next. Psalm 86, incline your ear, answer me for I'm poor and needy. Verse 7, in the day of my trouble, I'll call upon you. You answer me. Psalm 43, verses 1 through 5. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause. How many of you ever found yourself that you realized that you couldn't be your own defense, but God was going to have to vindicate you somehow? Vindicate me, defend my cause against an ungodly people from the deceitful and unjust man. Deliver me. Verse 3, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me and let them bring me to your holy hill, to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with lyre, O God, my God. See, most of us, when we get jammed up, we just want to say, God, take him out. (laughs) Kill him and kill him slow. And yet sometimes if we, but but how many of you know that's probably not a biblical prayer? But if we could talk talk about a man that was falsely accused, put on the run, was David. Nothing you're experiencing that you won't find somewhere that's been inscripturated here that somebody went there before you did. Then we move over to the New Testament. Of course, the Lord's Prayer we've already looked at for a few weeks. But John 17, Jesus is praying for the church. Beginning in verse 15, I don't ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. See, you can turn this prayer around and you can pray Jesus' words over yourself. How many of you sometimes just want to check out? God, take me out. Just, just, take, just, just, just kind of like Moses. Just kill me now. Because, I mean, it can't get any worse than this. Let me just, let me just, just be with you. And that's not, I'm not talking about sanctified suicide. That's not what I'm talking about here. But we all get to these places of despair where we really would like, if we could, just check out for a moment. He said, but God, you didn't say that you would take me out, but you would keep me from the evil one. They're not of the world, but just as I am not of the world, sanctify them in your truth, your word is truth. Then he goes on and he says, I don't just ask for those for these only, but for those who will believe in me through their word. Talk about a prayer where we're praying for out there, those that are yet to come all the way in, that they may all be one. Not a matter of God, get them. They're messing me up. They broke into my car. They busted into my house. They cut me off in traffic again. <laughs> 
No. We're praying for them that they would be one as we are one. This is how Jesus was praying. Instructions for you and I. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 12. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. That you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 11 through 12. We pray for you that God may make you worthy of his calling. And may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. There's a prayer for tomorrow morning. 2 Thessalonians 1.11 God, make me worthy of your calling. God, that I might fulfill every resolve for good in every work of faith by your power. That's a good prayer to start your day with right there. So that your name may be glorified in me. You and him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 1. One of my favorite prayers. This in chapter 3, which we'll close with in a moment. This is Paul praying. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. God, I pray that you would, that the eyes of my heart would be enlightened, that I would know the hope to which you've called me, the riches of your glorious inheritance. Your incomparably great power, God, for, for, for me who believes. And God, you said that power is like your mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when you raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but in the one to come. I mean, here we are, resurrection week, mindful of what Christ has done. Here's a prayer right here. Paul is writing that that would be the same power that would be in regular operation in your life and mine. Not the unusual, but the normative. The power to get up out of that grave and defeat death. And if you're like I am, most of the time, I don't even have the power to get out of bed. Just breaking it down and trying to make it real for you here. And yet, this is how Paul is praying. This, this is what we can just lift right off the page and pray the same thing. And God, you placed everything under your feet and appointed you to be head over everything for the church. You're in charge of this thing. Wow. Wow. Then Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, 
that you, this is where I want you to really just, just dig in for a moment, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Let me just tell you, you can be the greatest theologian on the planet, but if you're not rooted and grounded in love, all your theology will blow away. Because this is what it's planted in right here. That you could have strength to be to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. I was listening to the piece of a sermon today, a sermon that's probably 20 or 30 years old. And the speaker was asking this question. He talks about folks that are, will stand in front of the judgment seat and having a conversation with Christ. And, you know, many of us have these different ideas of what that is. You know, this, he's there with an Excel spreadsheet, you know, and we're hoping that, you know, it's going to come out with a positive number on the end. And, you know, we're going to be able to say the right thing. We'll get our card out. I believe that, Jesus, you died for my sins and... And, and, and so, you know, we, 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 we got the right identification. He said, but this is the one that very few Christians are going to be able to properly answer. Did you know that I loved you? Did you know that, did you really know that I loved you? Not just that I died for you. Not just that I made you clean. Not just I put destiny on you and gifts in you. But did you know that I loved you? Did you know that? And talk about a moment that I got busted today. I'm like, I don't know how to answer that question right now. Oh, I've got all the right, I've got a, I've got the right theological answers. I do this for a living. I've done this once or twice. I've spoken on the love of God. I've spoken on justification by faith. I've, I, I, like Pastor Danelle, I've done I've, I've done communion up here once or twice. Did you know that I loved you? Every skeleton in your closet, every thought, every bad attitude, did you know I loved you? Wow. And year after year, this is my 40th Easter as a believer. And we talk about this great sacrifice. Everything that he did. We sing songs about his great love. But did we know? And then we get to a place where all of a sudden we go back to Colossians 3 one more time, or Ephesians 3 rather. Being rooted and grounded in love. that we would have strength to know 
what is the breadth and length and height and depth, the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. How do you know something that you don't know? How do you know something that you can't write a song about or you can't write a sonnet about or you can't blog about? Or you put up a nifty Instagram picture with your left little scripture on. I mean, how do we, how does this work? And this is what Paul is bringing us to. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled with the fullness of God. And we get so sophisticated. Oh, Pastor Jim, just, you know, get, get, just go back to your numbers and your charts and something and impress me with your Hebrew. It doesn't get any more impressive than this. Talk about a place that I don't know about you, but talk about a place that I'm going to be living for the next few days and weeks. I don't know that I'm going to get out of Ephesians 3.17 for a while. I'm not trying to make time and make tracks and say, hey, I got 10 books read yesterday. Good for you. Read on, champ. Check. Feel good about yourself. Tell you one thing, I'd rather live here and get about that much than all that other stuff. This is why we pray the word. Are you with me? That we get to this one passage of scripture that it doesn't just become this speed bump anymore. You know, you read scripture and you just, you know, you get to a good one. It's just kind of, you kind of stop for a moment, slow down, kind of savor. You keep going. And then all of a sudden, road closed. We're not going any further. We're going to stay here for a while. This is what the word will do to your prayer. It will interrupt you. It will mess you up. It will put a roadblock there of all those things. God, I got my list. He said, right here, baby. This is where we're going to stay for a while. Until you get this. Until... I am able to reveal something of myself to you that you would not have gotten any other way. And I pray for you that over these next few days, and this thing's going to come out right, but I'm going to say it anyway, that Easter's not wasted on you. Easter's not wasted on you. And don't hear the wrong thing here. I'm not talking about that God has withheld anything from you or you're doing anything wrong. But somehow we would come up to this and not just say, got my new tie on. But that we would, we would just have to interact with some things in a different way that fundamentally turns us inside out. And changes us accordingly. Pray with me.
Lord, thank you for your word. The richness, the reality. Every word that's there, that is yours. Yes, that we would read our Bible every day. But God, not not as a speed reading contest or a theological exercise. But a word that is about you, from you, to us. Lord, we need power to begin to apprehend your love. Forget comprehending it, just apprehending it by the Spirit. So help us. God, let us fall in love, God, with your word because you are your word. There is no distinction between those things. Let us come to a new place in prayer. God, that it would be your word that would now not only just inform our prayer life, but transform our prayer life as well. In Jesus' name we pray. God's people said, amen. Bless you, church.